Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to Studio Break. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 36th episode, I have a great one with Justin Quinn. He's got an exhibition that opens up Thursday, July 19th, 7 p.m. at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. And the exhibition called Deeper Wonders Than the Waves is open to the public, so come out and check it out there and meet Justin. We'd also like to take a quick second to remind you that you can download today's podcast and subscribe in iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store, search for Studio Break on our podcast, and check it out there. If you could also go ahead and leave us some feedback at iTunes, it increases awareness of the podcast so that others like yourself might come to enjoy it as well. Here we go with Justin Quinn. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, and uh, I'm pleased to be joined finally by Justin Quinn this morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks, it's great, Dave. It's great to have you on. You know, I know that we've been uh, kind of uh, figuring this out, and you know, glad it's all set up, but... Um, you know, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about in, in terms of your work, and, and I believe a, a show coming up. Um, so we'll talk, we'll get into that later. But I, I always just just for the uh, the fun of it, I, I always like really starting out at the beginning with everyone. So if you could just uh, <laughs> you know from conception, no. Um, but if you could just talk a little bit about you know where you where you're from and and maybe where you grew up and and um, I don't know. I, I for some reason I'm, I'm I was wondering if you were going to be. Uh, a kid that gravitated towards uh, like classic literature, or maybe you had like a uh, a book club or something where Moby Dick left a scar on you or something. I don't I don't know. But what was it? What were your experiences like growing up in terms of uh, the arts and maybe you know where you lived and, and stuff like that? Oh, that's that's good. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. First, let me say, uh, Dave, thanks a lot for having me on here. We met what six years ago? No, we must have met twelve years ago. It's got to be like a decade or something. Oh my gosh! Well. It's really good to have, you know, this opportunity. So thanks a lot. Uh, You know, the funny thing is, you know, you're saying, do I have some kind of uh, connection with classical literature or or whatever? Uh, Not, I mean, I do, I guess, kind of. But it's funny how the perceptions are of you. There's, um, I I met a a person a couple years ago, and they had had it in their head that I was a a total recluse. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't go out. For some reason, I had some image... Where um, uh, of what I was really, I'm 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 from the north. I'm from um, the North Midwest, a, a little teeny tiny town in northern Wisconsin called Lake Nebagaman. And um, I grew up a pretty pretty normal uh, normal life, you know, as far as pretty rural existence. Uh, I was always I was always good in school. My parents were both professors, so maybe that's part of it. And my mom uh, taught Brit Lit and. My dad was uh, the dean of business and economics for a while, um, but for me, the big city was Duluth, Minnesota. So we're not talking about—I uh, mean, we're talking about a tourist culture, but not a huge culture. Culture, you know. We'd go down to Minneapolis once in a while to see the Walker. So I was able to see—I uh, remember seeing the Bruce Nauman retrospective back when I was in high school, and, and we went down really uh, regularly. So I got interested in art pretty early. Um, I spent a year in in Brussels, Belgium. As a, as a foreign exchange student, which really really kind of opened up things for me. And I came back and went to Superior, Wisconsin for school, where I studied art and art history. Went off to the University of Iowa to, uh, and I was like a kid in a candy store there. I studied printmaking, and I got a, a, a graduate degree in bookmaking, and also an MA in art history. And from there, I was hired at the University of North Texas down in Denton, which opened up a lot of avenues for me. And it was a great experience, but it was a little far away from home. So we left and uh, luckily landed a job in in central Minnesota at St. Cloud State, where we live. My wife is from about 20 miles away from here, so we have a lot of family here. And I live by the river, so I'm able to take my canoe in the summertime. We're in the good weather and uh, walk it down about two blocks to the river on portage wheels, go across the river and lock it up with a bike lock. And walk up the hill to my to my studio to to the university, so I can say that I commute to work. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it's interesting too because you know I, I always wind up um, just because of my interests. I, I always get curious about you know how much of an influence um, you know where you grew up is. Um, is that is that something that ever you know really kind of comes up uh, specifically in the work? I mean, is, is, is being a Midwesterner, for example, something that you identify with, I guess? 
Uh, well, I do identify with being a North Mid- Midwesterner, for sure. Uh, I really, uh, I do. But I don't know if there's a really direct link in that with the work. I think there's maybe a, a direct link in that with me. Right. Bit. Like, I can be sometimes at, at, I feel like whenever I go to openings, I, I feel like a, like kind of, uh, you know, really nice and kind of, you know, Midwestern. And, and that always cracks me up afterwards in retrospect. But, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big nature buff. My kids and a uh, whole family, like we're, you know, we're out a lot outside. So maybe that has something to do with it. But I don't know if there's a direct relationship. Sure, sure. Well, and so, you know, just just because I, again, and like I, I like to scrub through all the all the small, the small stuff um, in terms of development. So, you know, were, were you... Were you someone that that gravitated towards uh, like the comic book drawing or any anything like that, or I mean, did you have any idea that you wanted to be an artist or pursue art when you were growing up? Then, well, as yeah. You, as you started, I mean, again, you started talking about some exhibitions and things that you uh, that you went through in high school. But I mean, um, I don't know what what were your interests. I mean, did you draw a lot and anything anything that kind of went through that? Realm, I, I guess. Did. I mean, I did. I did draw a lot. I remember you were at uh, Amzie Emmons when you talked to him. He was talking about comic book art, and I, you know, I definitely looked at comics. Uh, for me, I think that I, I got early on into uh, into a conce- an idea of, of a conceptual art, mm-hmm. but not necessarily knowing what conceptual art was. And I think you know, maybe if you're if you're trying to make a connection between the rural aspect of where I grew up and and how I look at art or how I approach art, is I sometimes think that I do it wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I, I sometimes think I approach art in, in, a, in a really kind of strange way. Uh, for example, uh, I remember being in graduate school, and I was, I was really excited because I'd, I'd come across some idea, some, some kind of uh, fodder that I could work with for a long time. And a friend of mine said, like, that's, like, that's not how you make art. You know, like, you don't make it that way. And I understand what, what this guy was talking about because I, I think – the art has to be made in, in doing it, but I'm also, you know, I, I need to latch on to something. And I can hear myself as a professor now telling students, like, you know, don't don't make your art before, like, don't front-end it, you know? Don't make all your art before you even start. And I don't think that's what I was doing. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I just think I come at it a, a little a little differently. Uh, I did draw a lot as a kid. But uh, let me tell you, my kids draw a lot more than I ever did. Um <laughs> And what got me into it? It's hard to say. I think I knew I was going to be an artist since I was, you know, an early teen or preteen. Sure. And why? I, why I don't really know. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, looking at Heronius Bosch and, and M. C. Escher, like you know, it's kind of like the, one of the classic stages that people go to. But uh, God, I don't know, man. I think I wanted to be either uh, a cornerback playing football, or I wanted to be an artist. So I don't I don't know. I, I was hoping you were going to say MC Escher. Because <laughs> you, you never hear, you never hear a kid, you never hear anybody. I haven't heard anybody say that yet. You know, like um, I want to be MC Escher. When yeah, I like growing growing up. You know, like man, I want to make work just like that. You know, I want to. Be, uh, I don't know. I see that a lot. I want to be Adams or Adams. You know. Yeah. Um, well, it's I just, just I never thought about it that way. I never thought of uh, you know. I, I was always a pretty defiant kid, and I, I'd like to think I had like a kind of kind defiance. And um, I, I always thought, okay, so if you're going to be an artist, you have to do your own thing, you know. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I never really saw saw art and said I'm going to be so and so. It's like, no, I, I see that so and so is doing stuff. I'm going to do my own game. Sure, sure. Well, and so were you then? Did you grab? I mean, was there any kind of particular way that you gravitated towards it? Because you, you talked a little bit about being more interested in the, you know, the the conceptual side of things. But, you know, a lot of times when you're young, you only think about, you know, um, you know, like drawing a, a flower or, you know I mean? You kind of, young artists, I think, kind of tend to get into, you know, a lot of the things that we're, that we start with, you know, which is maybe just representational drawing and stuff like that. But I mean, was that something that, that was, uh, you know, something that you wound up investigating when you were younger or was it, was it kind of doing different projects or I don't know what was that like? Cause well, it's, it's kind of a range of things. I never really got into... I did get into uh, realism and drawing, and I, I did get bored with it really quickly. I remember that. And I also remember being in grade school. Uh, man, I must have been in maybe fourth or fifth grade, and somehow I was in an art class, which I don't remember doing. I remember doing two things in this art class specifically. One of them was 
uh, trying to do like a Pollock grip style painting. And I got these other kids kind of excited about it. And we, so the, the teacher like grudgingly let us go out into the hall, which was the cafeteria and kind of splatter paint on little teeny tiny pieces of, of like index cards. Mm-hmm. And then it, I, I remember she was kind of like, well, they got that out of their system. Now back, now back <laughs> in, you know what I mean? Right. And I remember, uh, another thing in that class where I was trying to draw metal with a, it's total cornball, 80s stuff where you would draw like silver metal and you would you would kind of fade the blue into silver and then maybe you'd have like a dark line and then fade again on top. It was I mean it's totally from this heavy metal uh, <laughs> aesthetic that I was I was I, I got into heavy metal really early and so for me I remember doing things like um, you know drawing swan song on the back of a of, of a leather of a leather uh, like a jean jacket kind of thing. You know, it's a it's a real like I, again. I think it's a weird approach to art. Like I always I was always doing things tongue in cheek and uh, trying to find my my own legs. You know. Sure. Well, so then you know, um, in terms of then that representational side, kind of getting burnt out on you. What was it like then when you started? Uh, you know, as a like I'm a I'm a university student freshman. You know, kind of thing when you went through all of those those initial classes and, and kind of, you know, obviously started studying it more, more real, you know, for real, you know, for lack of a better term. I mean, um, what was that like? I mean, did you gravitate towards printmaking, um, kind of early on or well, maybe the 2d side of it versus the 3d side of it, or, or were you kind of invested in all of it in terms of, uh, you know, a lot, I think a lot of times you can kind of see art very limited when you're, when you're in high school. And then when you get to college, it's just overwhelming. Cause it's like, Oh, well, you know, there's there's metals, there's sculpture, there's ceramics, there's all the stuff that you maybe hadn't had access to. That's a good. No, it's a good question. I feel like I, I was really all over the place, Dave. Like all over the place. Even you know, I went to grad school for five years because I I don't think I really understood who who I was. You know, I was really happy to get into, into a strong program, but at the same time, it took me a long time to focus on what I was what I was doing. And when I was an undergrad, when I started. Uh, I was a triple major for my for my first quarter, so I I majored in art, theater, and uh, French. And I remember taking uh, I wanted to take I, I was a, a theater major because I wanted to take the intro class with all the theater majors instead of like the the cornball uh, you know art uh, theater history or whatever for for non theater majors you know. And I just thought it'd be I thought it'd be kind of cool. And you know, two weeks into it, I'm like, this is not me. So that was that was a non-issue, and 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 French really quickly kind of dropped off too, and then I dropped off. You know, I I, I dropped out of of college for a while, and that was the best decision I'd done because I think I still had some growing up to do, and um, so when I finally did come back, the reason I got into printmaking, I always wanted to be a painter, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I still think that uh, I gravitate right. I I I make painting esque. Kind of things. I do a lot of drawing more mm-hmm. than anything else. But when I was at the University of Wisconsin Superior, it's a little school, and one of my mentors there, a guy named Bill Morgan, he taught art history and he also taught painting and print, er, taught a painting and collage things like that. And so, in a, in, a, in a lot of ways, he was a model to me. But he, we had a we had a, a, a hallway that was like an L. You know, this is a long time ago. I mean, people still smoked in the hallways, you know, back, back, God, I'm old. Uh, so he would, he had his office on one side where he would smoke, right? Then he would go down the hall, take a left, and walk down to the painting room where he would teach. And sometimes he'd bring books back and forth or whatever. Now, there were two options. You could go down the hall, and this L, or you could cut through the print shop. And the print shop was right in this nook. So he would cut through the print shop, and he kind of commandeered a whole area of the print shop where he had tons of collage materials and he had his, his painting materials and he would stop. And so he would walk back and forth like all day. He would teach a little bit. He would go back, he would paint and then he would go have a cigarette, you know, <laughs> then come back, paint on his way through and then go teach some more. And I thought this was the best. So I took a print class for the first time to learn how to paint because I figured <laughs> I could watch this guy paint all day. You right, know what I mean? Right. And as soon as, and as soon as I, as soon as I made a print, it was over though. You know, there was something about, about that etched line or whatever that really sold me. So I was early on got into print and then I saw it's kind of uh, practical applications. You know, I like to joke that if I was a painter, I'd probably never have a teaching job. You know what I mean? <laughs> but luckily I was, I studied print where I could, I could learn these skills too. You know, these really uh, marketable skills that are outside, you know, that are, there are people who aren't in the, the medium can say like, Oh, you know how to make 
this kind of a print. Sure. People who are, aren't painters might not understand the depth that you really, really have, right? There are a million painters, there aren't as many printers. So I thought it was a practical choice, too, to go into printmaking. Sure, sure. Well, and, you know, and the thing that I always loved about printmaking is that uh, painting can be so isolated. You know, you can, like, I don't know, it's... Um, it's really easy to kind of be sucked into that own world. And, and when you're really, you know, working with a bunch of people to, you know, produce a suite of prints, it's uh, it's an interesting process. Yeah. 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 I don't play well with others, though. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really good at that whole communal thing. Oh, man. I always, I've always tried to do collaborations. Like, I have friends who do a lot of collaborations, and I always am, like, the guy that kind of pulls it down a little bit. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that holds true for me. Well, I just mean, the you know, the person that goes, roll this flat out. No, you did it wrong. Do it again. You know, like when you get to that <laughs> level, I guess maybe, uh, you know, when you can come in and be a visiting artist and, you know, it's the yeah, wrong okay. orange. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, so yeah, so you're, you know, you're getting into learning, learning, uh, printmaking through the, uh, the back door, I guess a little bit. Um, was it, was there something that you were like drawn to immediately in terms of, um, you know, in, in terms of the, the different ways that you can print? Um, did you did you learn a lot about different processes, or was it kind of only set up for, you know, a handful? Well, in undergrad, we we just kind of had free reign. It was it was a great little school uh, in a lot of ways, where we had maybe ten people who uh, who were kind of serious about art in the different disciplines, and we're all kind of doing it right now. You know, like you know, people uh, other people who have teaching gigs and who are doing really well, uh, but. It was kind of self-taught. Like you had you had twenty-four hour access to the studio, so you'd go in and you just do whatever you want, and you go to the bar and you get really drunk, and then you come back, and then you would you would you would do more shenanigans. You know, I remember this one guy like swinging a hockey stick in the middle. He's like standing on a table, uh, freaking out, like swinging his hockey stick, screaming like this is my personal private playground. And it was all because somebody left a note on this is not your personal private playground. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. You know, like this is our playground. So we, you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, I remember skateboarding up there, just doing whatever. So I got into etching just because it's a, it's a really, uh, it's a visceral pro- process. You know, I can kind of see it go. And i really, the, the majority of what I do right now <clears throat> as a printmaker, I make a few prints a year, uh, is related to etching. But when I went to grad school, you know, I, I spent a lot of time kind of watching other people trying to figure out, like, the correct way to do it, you know, because I did come from this kind of self-taught atmosphere. Um, and, I, you know, I like woodcut. I like all this stuff. But etching, yeah, it's always talked to me. Well, and, and so, you know, one of the things that we haven't really talked about is, well, at least in a, a couple of minutes anyway, is the, the maybe any kind of thematic subjects. I mean, what were, what were you making at this stage? You know, I made so many weird things. Uh, the funny thing is, reflecting back, I did a lot of, I lit a, a, a lot of stuff, kind of that that was borderline alchemy, mm-hmm. in a way. So I dealt with, uh, like uh, compressing carbon to turn it into an eventual diamond, or ten strips of gold, which was kind of a uh, a nod to LSD, but also uh, this this alchemy of like the gold, like the pure spirit, you know. Uh, I was all over. I, I really liked the idea of doing uh, ab X kind of pure craziness versus I did a lot of book work that were kind of, uh, uh, you know, maybe a little more free expression uh, literature. I got into I got into letter forms, which then turned into the, uh, the periodic table of the elements. And then um, I boiled it down to an eye chart and I found that E was at the top of the I chart. You know, I've always been kind of interested in hierarchies. So uh, the way I tried to explain it was that a guy was kind of navigating the space between reading and seeing. You know, you, can, you can't you can read an I chart, but you can see an I chart. And you can, you can talk about language without having to read it. And so that's where I've stayed for the last, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years. Right. Uh, and now, now I'm starting to uh, reinvestigate the kind of uh, occult, stuff a little bit more, you know, which is kind of going back into, uh, which is kind of going back. It's a, it's a seamless transition, I think, but it is kind of funny that I'm, I'm remembering now. It's like, man, I used to make work about this a long time ago, right. you know, approaching it from, uh, from a, a spot where I have, I have this kind of, uh, a hand that is, is more adept, I guess. 
Well, and, and, you know, you talked a little bit about also studying art history. Was that something that was also, you know, challenging you in terms of like what you were making when you, and again, this could be, obviously we're not talking about specific dates, but I'm, I'm kind of talking about this transition, um, you know, that transitional period when you start really making, making work that's more of your own, you know, design, your own choosing. I mean, were there things that you were drawing from in terms of, um, you know, maybe artists that you were interested in or, or ways that they were working that you were trying to emulate? Or was it, you know, you're just kind of studying all these things and, and kind of like you've been saying, just kind of coming up with stuff and, and just kind of going with it and, and learning from the process of doing it? Uh, yeah, I think maybe a little bit the latter. You know, I I always found that I did my best sketching when I was in art history courses. Maybe that's a part of it. Because mm-hmm. I, I love, I mean, I loved it all. Greeks, bring it on, you know? Uh Ancient, I, I love ancient work. I love medieval work. You know, anything 20th century and 21st century I think is the best. But I, you know, if, if it, as long as it's not that kind of weird, um, super academic dry stuff, that's just so boring to me. You know, like Rococo and, and you know, even, it's a, it's a shame too, even a lot of romanticism is just boring the way it's kind of approached. But uh, for me, I, I, I just wanted to get a handle on everything. I just wanted to eat everything up. You know, and so maybe I would I would take a couple and work and work from it, and maybe uh, try to make a couple pieces based on the things that I was learning. But a lot of it, I just kind of I, I brought it in, and I, I would sketch a lot, and I would build ideas nonstop. I had these sketchbooks that were just built of just weird ideas that came from maybe other people's work for sure. But uh, but I think I was just I was taking it in, and then I was kind of putting it through my own filter when it was coming out. Sure. Well, and so, you know, in, in terms of the the letter E and 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 that, when did when did that all then actually start? I mean, you, well, what's the, what's the started in? I'm thinking about 2001, 2002, when oh. I was I was working with letter forms a ton in grad school, so I would have M's that would extend out like a colonnade, or an N that would have uh, the straight part on both sides. You know what I'm talking about? You know, that mm-hmm. it's like an end is a bar, and then it curves off, and there's another bar, so it looked like a triumphal arch. So a lot of kind of architectural ideas going with that. Um, and I started working with the E primarily, probably in about 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And it just stuck. Like, it, it just it just made a lot of sense. And, and I always feel like that if you can take, you take uh, something and boil it down, you know, and compress it, and, and limit yourself. Give you, I always teach parameters when I'm when I'm when I'm teaching. You know, if you can give yourself some parameters that are really solid and can kind of hone down what you're doing, you're really forced to make smart decisions. Do you know what I mean? Because you can't. Sure. It's kind of just the opposite of that Roy Lichtenstein, uh, not Roy Lichtenstein, the uh, uh, the Robert Rauschenberg school of thought. That is, you know, if you, you just keep throwing things onto a canvas, because if you you know if you don't like what you're seeing, you can always look over here and see something that you do like. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of kind of compressing it down, making it as essential as possible, so you're forced to do uh, your moves. So I have people that ask me, "When are you going to stop doing ease?" And I don't know. I, I, <laughs> in a way, I'm, I'm already. I'm in the last few months. I'm starting to introduce other letters into the into my vocabulary. But you know, as long as I'm challenging myself and finding new ways to do this, who cares? You know, it's just a, it's just a tool. It's just a brush. Sure. Well, and it, it, it kind of touches on something, uh, kind of a number of themes that you talked about, because, you know, when we kind of mention art history or, or its ways that it can maybe inform what people wind up doing, and, and I think the process that you're describing really allows you to really kind of investigate something to the, you know, to the, to the point where you're really invested in it, and as you said, kind of developing a, a language or putting it through and, and turning it into a language. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I mean, when you're, I guess, investigating this, uh, I guess initially, I mean, was there any, were you kind of coming up with guidelines in terms of like how, you know, a piece would go in terms of what it would look like visually? Um, was there anything that was informing it or was it? Yeah. And I, you know, first of all, I think we're always making guidelines. I mean, you know this too, right? You make weird rules and you don't even know where they come from. Sure. When I was, when I was an undergrad, I told myself I couldn't paint with the color black. Why? Like, there's no, that doesn't make any sense. But for somehow, I had it in my brain that black was cheating. Okay? I just, I mean, that's weird. Okay? So, uh, but when I, when I was drawing these bees, uh, I, I, I first started just doing them in a cube and started making shapes. And then uh, I, I said, oh, man, I don't know when to start and stop them. You know? And they were really nice pieces, but 
I, I figured I needed some kind of help. So uh, I did turn to, uh, to Melville's writing because it, 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 I, could, I, saw it, I see it as a collaboration. You know what I mean? I can follow the, the, the syncopation, the pace, and, and all the stuff that he's putting down. Because what I'm doing is taking, uh, I'm taking Melville's writing and I'm changing every, every letter into the letter E. And, but I'm keeping the punctuation. I'm, I'm respecting where uh, sentences stop, paragraphs start. Uh, you know, these spaces in between become more and more important. So really it's a one-to-one mapping of Melville's work, but it's a visual interpretation that is not a pictogram. Okay? It's not like I'm trying to say, I'm not, I'm not making a whale. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. Um, but I, I, I think I made probably, I would say maybe two to 500 drawings. You know, I don't know. It's like a, a big amount of drawings before I really figured out what I was doing. So really just starting uh, at the top left and going across and going down, just like classical literature is, writing these E's over and over and over. And, you know, in these sketchbooks, page after page after page after page after page. And um, after a while, I started making what you're saying now are are parameters that I'm putting on for a certain piece. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that came a little later. So in the show that I'm having at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts uh, that opens up next month is I took all of my sketchbook pages and I photocopied them and I'm displaying the whole thing on one wall so you can see the transition from the very early part of the project into where it really kind of turns into its own and then comes out of the sketchbook with the drawings, paintings, prints. Nice, nice. That's it, yeah. Well, and, you know, and it's, it's just interesting too because, you know, we're talking about the the ways that, well, first of all, just all the work that goes into being an artist, you know, it's, it's something that I don't, as a teacher, something that's very hard to kind of carry over to uh, to maybe some younger students that don't really kind of know that that type of commitment and that kind of drive. But you know, when you talk about you know working up uh, between two hundred and five hundred drawings to kind of figure out things like composition, you're gonna you're gonna gain some some competency in it. And it's um, you know it's an interesting process, and it sounds very interesting to see the way that that's gonna that's gonna look and, and play visually. Um, so, you know, when, so when you, so when you kind of set up to start making these prints, then, um, you know, how did you think about, um, you know, cause we've talked a little bit about maybe the different ways of compositions where there's specific ones that you kind of went through and, you know, it's going to be this type of form. And then also, yeah. especially like, I'm curious about the, the, you know, it's a very minimal aesthetic. It's not, you know, you don't have like every color in the rainbow. It's not, you know, all necessarily like intense colors there's a lot of especially in the more recent stuff more muted colors and um i don't know how do you how do you balance those formal elements and and relationship to those the way that the the compositions work also uh well as far as form is concerned it really did come from the sketchbooks i would i would make a move the next drawing make the move again but change it make the move again change it again and when something came out that was really interesting that I could investigate, I would make uh, an association with the passage in the book where that came from. I, although I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Moby Dick, and I, I, anymore I just don't want to talk about Moby Dick. I'm not a, I'm, it's not about literature. But I think what happened was there were passages in there that I found interesting. And, and it's like an onion skin, right? You just keep you're peeling it back and it, it gets more and more interesting. But as a collaborator, I think my role was to say, okay, you know, this, this passage means a lot to me. It doesn't have to mean anything to the audience member, but what it does is I, every time I repeat that passage, I'm using the same kind of form or I'm using the same starting point, and, and I can create the form again or change it. It's kind of like James Sienna was saying, abstraction is repetition. So you do something again and again and again, and that's what abstraction is. And I, I, I totally agree. So uh, as far as form is concerned, if I'm going to do uh, a circular form that I've done quite often, uh, where it starts on the outside and goes in towards the center, you know, it's, it's this kind of madness, right? Like, it's a, it's a labyrinth. There's only one way back out, right? And so that made a lot of sense to me. So I'd explore it again, and explore it again, and explore it again. Now, as far as, uh, you know, working minimally and working, especially lately, really dark, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, I don't remember the, the word you used. You had a good word for it, but uh, 
the work has just gotten a lot darker in a lot of ways. And I think it's because the work has gotten a lot quieter. And the whole idea of spaces in between words or spaces in between passages or, or in between forms is probably a better way to think about it, uh, is more interesting to me. The rest are more interesting than what is the noise. Okay, right, so right. it really, for me, it's, it's more than just pure redaction. You could say that the work is about redaction because I'm crossing out and I'm killing what was originally there. It's kind of like the, uh, the erased de Kooning drawing, right? So, but I think it goes more than that. I think it really is kind of a rhythm, things where, where it disappears. Uh, one way that I've been working a lot in the last year or so is working on a, on a black ground and working on the black ground with silver point so that as the silver oxidizes, it changes color and, and uh, it's slowly, well, it's just changing, you know, and eventually it's going to turn to black, so it's going to disappear into the ground itself, which is the ultimate quiet, you know, that things can just disappear. Sure. Well, and, and even though um, it's not necessarily something that I thought of, uh, it makes me wonder about that that relationship of how, you know, as artists, we're all we're all making these things, but at the same time, they're they're all going to be something that ages, um, and and just kind of I don't know, eventually maybe even kind of become something else if it becomes brittle or you know or destroyed yeah. or anything like that. Is that is that impermanent? Something that you're interested in? Absolutely, it has been since I was a, since I was in college. I remember making making some painting, and we were talking about archivalness, and that uh, my professor again, Bill Morgan. He said, well, I age, why shouldn't my art age? You know, and that, man, that one thing stuck with me so strong. And I, and not that I always employed it, but I'm employing it more and more today. Sure. You know, it's this idea of transition, um, things in really, it's in, in that, that really slow change that you can't map. I love it. You know, like in Poltergeist where that car moved across the table, but it moved so slow, it was, in, it was an imperce- uh, you, you can perceive its, its movement. Uh, but they would speed up the tape, and you could see it moving across. You know, that's I, I'm, uh, I, I think that's fascinating. Right, right. Well, and and so does that wind up? Um, I don't know. Does that does that ever make you consider in terms of like what materials you wind up using? I mean, you, you talked a little bit obviously about silver point, but I mean, you know, have you become more interested in playing around with materials that might change over the the course of a, of a period of time than more consciously? Then, yeah. Although silver on black has been my my go to. But I've mm-hmm. also been using gold point, which, in, you know, because it's a more pure metal, or however you want to call it, it doesn't oxidize, it doesn't change, it doesn't tarnish. Uh, but at one point in silver's transition, it looks like gold. So you get this kind of, kind of weird uh, mapping, right, of, of, of the lines through time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always I loved, I always loved uh, Ad Reinhardt's black paintings because, you know, I, from what I understand, at the end of his life, he didn't make any more paintings, but his pigment was so dry and so brittle that he just spent a lot of time going back and visiting his paintings and like touching them up and making sure that they were okay, you sure. know. So it's this it's this kind of uh, tending, you know, it's kind of ten- tending to age somehow. Um, definitely. Yeah. Well, it, it, it I, I don't know. There's a little bit of a tangent, but it makes me think of like the age of like a wine, um, you know, as if, if there's a possibility of it kind of becoming, uh, kind of hitting its high notes, as it were. Which I think would be a great way to market them, sure. you know, especially when they, when they, you know, ten years ago this this drawing might have been only a grand, but now it's like five. <laughs> you know, I like that. I like wines. <laughs> um, and so, well, you know, it's it's interesting too because one of the one of the things that we even talk necessarily about too is scale. You know, um, have you always kind of worked to like a, a similar t- type scale, or is that something that? that jumps around as well too. Cause you, you talked also that you, you know, have, have experience as a, as a bookmaker too. Right. Um, so I think that would be something that would be, I don't know, a potential Avenue. Have you explored, I guess, bookmaking and, and scale in terms of, of, of something that in terms of contributing to all of the work that you've done already? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, bookmaking, bookmaking is kind of cool. You know, I do, I do, I don't make a lot of books, but I do reference them a lot. And I, I'm, I'm making uh, a large book right now. Uh, in fact, I'm binding it in the room next door. Uh, it's 22 by 30 inches open, so it's pretty hefty. It's about 100 pages, and it's all you know, uh, kind of 300 ground weight paper. So it's a really hefty book. Um, but what's it, it's almost like the edge of a book for me because it's it's almost too big. 
You know what I mean? Sure. And what I like about books and what I kind of wrote about a lot in my uh, when I when I would do research was the, the fact how we can you know when, when you have a book and, and you're holding it, everybody holds it the same way. You know, there's the there's very kind of common ways of having a book open. Common distance. It's a very personal one-on-one thing. You know, a lot of people talk about making smaller pieces because they're uh, they're more intimate, and I, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, but there are two things going on too. I, I was I, I considered myself a student for so long. I was a student for so long, uh, studying printmaking. That a lot a lot of my pieces tend to be small, just because I've been doing etching, and so the copper was expensive. So uh, all a lot of my pieces just ended up being within within a certain size range. You know, uh, so the books along with the with the print it made. I just kind of make make smaller pieces. Uh, recently, I've been working as large as I could. You know, I've been buying twin rocker paper that's about uh, oh, I don't know, forty by sixty inches, like you know, big as you can. You know, is it, 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 it's really ridiculous to frame too. But you know, <laughs> these really heavy, heavyweight papers with this heavy deckle edge. You know, really large, and I love them for what they are. And I'm making more and more. I'm, I'm getting the stuff is getting larger and larger. Uh, and working on panels. Uh, for you know, but I like the idea of some kind of a limit to the size or having the size make sense within the philosophy of the piece. So, for example, um, you know, if you're going to make a mold-made piece of paper, there's a certain limit to how how big that paper can be. You know, because of just like it, it's it's unreasonable and unmanageable at a certain point to make it any larger. You know, unless you know, I mean, there are artists who flex their muscles once they become blue chip. And try to push that stuff, but I'm I'm talking within reason. Uh, I work. I've been working paintings on on board, uh, and I, I you know I got some oak that was huge. You know, it's like three feet across practically, and like you know five feet long. Huge piece of oak, and I went into the his store, uh, the lumber store here in town, and there were there were old timers just admiring the board. You know, it was pretty funny. Like they were just like people would like come in and start looking at this board and like. Dang, that's a great board. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't see that anymore. And, and I asked if they if they get them off, and they're like, no way. So I bought all of it. You know. Right. So now, for me, the power of the board and the power of this kind of this piece that's kind of reached its limit potential is another investment in the work. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And, and when you say board, though, I mean, are you, are you like literally working on a board then? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I would imagine, I mean, is that something that's pretty different for you in terms of then that no. aesthetic or something? No, I mean, it's all it's all the same. Okay, it's all the same. Well, and it, well, because it seems like you know you could easily come up with, um, I don't know, just kind of happenstance. You know, you just happen to be crossing paths with some you know new surface or something that you kind of think of in relationship to the work that you make and and kind of become invested in. Is is there any? Um, is there, are there any anecdotes that you might be able to share in terms of uh, something that was maybe surprising that you didn't necessarily think that you were going to wind up working with that you, uh, I don't know, wound up gravitating towards or exploring? Uh, well, I did make a movie, and that was, you know, that's kind of weird. Like, I made, I broke my arm, uh, I broke my right arm, and I'm right-handed. <laughs> totally dumb skateboarding thing. That's the, worst, and, that's the worst nightmare for any artist, is the uh, idea of losing a vision or... <laughs> And dominance. <laughs> oh, it was awful. And then, you know, it was at, it was at this, yeah, and it, uh, there's a lot of tangential stories. But uh, <laughs> what I what I ended up doing was taking a, a drawing that was that was finished, a small drawing, and uh, uh, saving it in Photoshop as a low-res JPEG, medium-res JPEG. And then uh, I saved it at a number that was really, really high, like let's say 10,000. Okay? That was just the number of the file, the name of the file. Mm-hmm. And then I would go back and using the cloning tool, Erase piece by piece, and then you know the next one is saved. You know nine 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 nine, and then, you know nine thousand nine hundred ninety eight. So when you put them all together, it turns into a, a flipbook, mm-hmm. right? They all go in sequence. You can see the drawing make itself, and it's one of these things where you know I got I I, I, I for a long time I moused with my left hand because I learned that I couldn't draw, so I would draw on the computer, right? And I found myself making this really pretty sweet little movie. Um, but it's so low res that it, it can only be projected when it's really close to the same size that it was made. So I, I think that's kind of funny too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, I'm always looking because, because the stuff is so boiled down, you know, to, into the letter E, I'm always looking for new ways to kind of, uh, to make it, you know what sure. I mean? Like, like 
can I make that mark in a, in a, in a new way, in an interesting way? One that makes sense to me, that one that's not really far out. Like the ones that are really far out drop right away. You know, sure. they just don't, they don't make sense. They don't have, they don't have any lasting power. Well, and so, I mean, does installation then come into, into play in terms of, like, the way that you display them? Because, I mean, obviously the, you know, like a drawing or, or something like that, you know, we are all, you know, kind of familiar with maybe how those are displayed. And so, like, even this project that you have coming up where you're, where you've got, I'm guessing all these things that are going to be tiled out. I mean, is, is the way that you present things or maybe consider the way that someone approaches them? Um, I don't know. And, again, it's a very open-ended thing because, I mean, obviously we all have, you know, things that we've experimented with, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious, you know, what other, what other routes, you know, like, like the video or something else that, that kind of comes into play. Well, yeah, I, I'm pretty conscious of, of uh, an exhibition space as being uh, a piece by itself. At least I'm becoming more conscious of that. So I'm always building scale models now of exhibition places uh, with, with foam core and making little models of, of, of the pieces that I'm working with. And I'm really into, into mathematics and geometry. You know, that's kind of a part of what I've been doing, too. So, um, you know, I always want to play things off of each other and try to try to look in through how a viewer would have that moment, like interacting with the art. So, you know, bouncing off this one, you know, and, and kind of getting an angle to the next one. Or uh, one, uh, some pieces that I was planning on doing for this show, which never uh, were realized, but are, are, you know, I hope coming in the next, in the near future, are these kind of low... Um, uh, sculptural pieces that are they're like drawings that are hinged that are not high enough to really be where you don't have that gestalt where you you walk around them but they're they're almost forgettable in a way kind of dumb forgettable objects and they're sculptural but they're only uh, approached on one side like paintings does that make sense yeah, so I they're think so. like they're, they're almost they're, they're they're drawings that are escaping being drawings because they they, they sit on the floor but they're not really sculptural either, because they're not working around necessarily, you know. And so they, they they're kind of these kind of pathetic things. But I like the idea that somebody could be walking in a gallery with these these low little things and kind of accidentally you know run into one and sure. knock it over, and you know I can just hear it slam as it hits the ground. So I, I think that's more of an like an installation idea too. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, and you know, and again, we've obviously. Um conversations can go in all sorts of different directions, but, you know, I think it makes sense to maybe now talk just a little bit about this show that you have coming up and, and I guess a little bit more specifically with, with some of the work that's going to be in it. So, Sure. Um, yeah, I know you also said you wanted to talk about gallery stuff too, right? Well, I, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, what, um, you know, what, obviously you've talked a little bit about, about prepping for spaces and, and things like that, but, um, you know, is, is, so when you're going into, into a museum space, I mean, is there a, a specific um, way that you're kind of going into it, um, you know, in terms of what kind of work you're going to display. Do you have a project set up? Like, I'm going to this, this, this is what I'm going to show. But could you talk a little bit about what's what what you are going to be showing? <laughs> yeah, uh, I went into this project with a proposal to make. Uh, it was it was really a, a book proposal, and I've totally changed it a couple times. But one was this idea of having a book that. Uh, if you can imagine the gallery as a rectangle, and so you're, you're going on the axis of the long part of the rectangle, and you'd have one single book at one end that faces towards one wall, and the wall would be blank. So you deal with this book. You'd be this very personal experience. And then when you turn around, there would be this kind of large wall piece, which would be this kind of uh, extrovert experience. And nothing on the side walls at all. And I kind of saw that as like one piece. Um, and the proposal got accepted, and then I instantly started changing it because uh, as I was making the pieces and as I was making the work and, and you know, going going down to the museum and, and, and you know, spending time in the space, <clears throat> it didn't make sense to me anymore. It just seemed, uh, it seemed a little, uh, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't right. So I started making kind of companion drawings. And now I, I think it's much more of a, of, uh, like just a show, you know what I mean, where I have. Uh, pieces on all the walls, but again, you know, taking that one far wall in the gallery and kind of exploding out this uh, the sketchbook, kind of the history of what I've been doing, along with um, you know other other book pieces there too, and you know these large scale pieces. I think I think it makes sense. It's always in flux. Like anytime you start something, anytime I start something, I I have an idea of what it's going to look like, and when it's done, it's nothing like what I thought it was going to be. Right. Right. Well, and, 
and so you you said the process for this for this piece with the sketchbook is it you said it's photocopying or yeah yeah and what's I'm I'm curious about that too because you know um, I know and I always joke around with printmakers about um, hand wiping plates or not because um, printmakers are a very particular bunch they they, they kind of I don't know. It seems like it seems like y'all have like very specific things that you either do or do not do. Um, yeah. But what, what's the? I mean, what do you think about the relationship of photo, the photocopy, as a form of printmaking in relationship to, I guess, being a, a you know, a printmaker as well? When you know the differences between a photocopy and an etching, or you know, you know, Dave, honest to God, I, I don't care about right. that. I mean, that 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 seems so academic to me, and. Uh, I think it's interesting to get maybe to talk about that with my students because what you're saying, you know, I agree. We like when I couldn't work with black as a as an undergrad, the color black. Uh, that was a weird parameter that I put on myself, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that these preconceptions that what we have is art and what isn't art, especially when we're new to making art, um, those preconceptions really have to be drilled out of, like pounded out of your head. You know what I mean? Right. Because they're the things that kind of prevent you from making real art because you're putting limits on yourself that have nothing to do with anything, you know? Right. And, uh, so, you know, if I were talking to a student, I would, I would definitely talk about the conversation between etching and a print or a photocopy. But as far as me and myself, I mean, quite honestly, I don't, I, I teach printmaking. I, I you know, I've gone to those conferences. I don't know if that's me. Right. You know? Like, well, I, and- and I guess I'm, I'm I'm asking more just just because I mean you know it's such a it's I mean it, it's a specific process that does something differently than maybe you know scanning all of your images and taking them to Kinkos and having them print them out on laser paper you know I mean like is there is there an interest in the way that like something like photocopying just the way that it would transfer being something that's oh. different. Yeah, my um, bad. I, I I think I misunderstood your question. Well, no, I mean, I I mean, I I I think I mean, don't get me wrong. I was I was interested in that because I think it's something that, you know, it's hard to it's hard to move away from. You know, you want. I mean, when when anybody walks into an exhibition, you know, you have to look at it like, at least the way that I do is that you know, these someone is making all these decisions and they're conscious of them. Um, so you know, you're you're trying to find you know other other ways of thinking about them, other ways to. To dissect them, and so I mean, I'm certainly interested in that, just because, you know, the idea of allowing allowing yourself to use really any kind of printed form as a means to an end is interesting. But then also, yeah, just the way that, um, yeah, photocopy will kind of degrade, or you know, I, I know someone that had, um, you know, copied the same the same map image, you know, but made it. You know, a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy until it, you know, essentially right. disappeared. So, is that oh, something? Yeah. I, that... I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got hung up on that high versus low thing. Uh, I guess what, when you explain it, when you when you put it that way, I, I, there's a definite interest, and for me, it's an analog interest. You know, I love analog. I love analog. So, uh, there are things that happen in transitions, like um, when you have, like, uh, let's say you had uh, a bootleg tape, you know, and it got passed in generations from this person to that person and eventually it starts to break down I'm kind of fascinated by that I'm fascinated by that in the same way that I'm interested in, in pieces aging do you know what I mean? Sure and I'm kind of quieting down because when things fall apart it's that same silencing of the object you know um, so I'm thinking about it in terms of have you ever seen that book uh, by Christopher Wool of Harmony Friend called Pass the Bitch Chicken no no it's Pretty sweet book. Uh, you know, Harmony Crin's that guy who did it on kids at demo. You know, he's a total weirdo. Sure. Um, and Christopher Wool, I think, is one of the best painters out there. And I, they just had these, these images, and the whole book is the, the this image kind of falling apart and becoming something else through the transition of it, it gets messed with, photocopied, messed with, photocopied, messed with, photocopied over and over, you know. And I think uh, maybe it's, yeah, I think that's a definite part of it. Um, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm setting up, I'm setting up some kind of architectural pyramids that deal with uh, abracadabra, you know, the magic <laughs> right. meditation. Right. Uh, it's through letterpress, and then I, I, I want to make these kind of fine letterpress objects. But then I think the next, you know, thinking ahead as a possibility, you know, photocopying them, you know, smearing them on the photocopy, changing them so they turn into something else too. 
So yeah, that's a, that's that's a total interest. Sure, sure. Well, and one of the things that we you know haven't really addressed is just the way that um, that people receive your work. Then, I mean, is there is there a pretty expansive uh, field of interest in terms of what people wind up focusing on? I mean, is it you know, will someone come in and focus on this one particular aspect of the work, and then someone else does something else? But what what what's that relationship like? And and I guess what do you what are you hoping to leave the viewer with when they when they see your work? Wow! And I don't mean to make that's it. Tough. I hope it's not a. I hope that's. I, I and I think it, you know. I think it, um, it doesn't. That that isn't necessarily again coming from any kind of academic point too either. You know, but um, no, no, no. Okay, I just want. Just, I just want to clarify. Big, that's a big question. Uh, well, I think uh, I have this kind of perverse thing where I want. I really want people to understand what I'm kind of thinking about in the piece. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe there's X, Y, and Z that, you know, sometimes I'll spend a, I don't know, four to six weeks on a piece isn't unreasonable, you know? And in that amount of time, you know, you really think about specific things. And when a person comes to your piece and they, they, they don't see those, I'm always a little like, I, I kind of want to maybe, talk to them about it and sometimes I do a little bit but I think I've learned just to kind of people get their own people seem to like what they like you know and, and I can't predict what people are going to sure. going to be interested in you know my my whole thing though is like in, in kind of distancing myself from Melville is I'm, I'm just tired of, of I'm not you know like people coming in and trying to impress me with how much they know about this story <laughs> you know like I like yeah, I mean that, that's fine. I, I think it's very kind, and it's where they're coming from. But it's not where I'm coming from. You sure. know? So I think that you know the the next move for me is to kind of move away just a little bit, so we can talk about what's really happening in there. Well, and I think that you know just this idea then of of showing all these sketchbook all the sketchbook work it would be a, a way for people to see all of those transitions that they that they don't see maybe or, or all of the work that goes into figuring out a piece. You know. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's it's very interesting. Um, I'm I'm curious to see what the reception will be like, and and um, you know the way that people react to it. Uh, I am too. I am too. And and again, I, I do have just a handful of other. Um, well, I, I kind of jump around a bit at the end just because I, I kind of like to leave it on a you know a slightly slightly uh, loose and light kind of note. Um, but I always like asking people what other interests they have in terms of. Uh, just outside of the art make, art making field, and I mean, obviously, you, you talked a little bit about um, you know the outdoors aspect of things, but are you uh, are you still a, a big metal fan now? <laughs> no, not kind of <laughs> the sick way. It's kind of like uh, maybe I don't talk about it as much, but I, I do. I definitely am, am a music buff. You know, I love I love collecting records, and um, you know, lately I've been listening to uh, Nice Face. He's got it's a, a new a new record out that's good. Uh, Blank Dogs, which is kind of a weirdo solo guy out of out of uh, out of New York. Uh, Wooden Ships, it's great psychedelic, like you know, loose fuzzy jams. Uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre is making some really great stuff right now. It's heavily heavily electronic stuff. Yeah, I you know, music is a big is a big deal for me. Um, you know, being a parent, honestly, you know, just being a parent is kind of a big deal too. It takes up a lot of my time and, and that's really cool. That's my probably my number one. Um, I don't know why I imagine you going through garage sales and like seeing old signage and being really invested, but that's a yeah, complete really, that's a know, complete just shot in the dark there. I don't I don't I think it's just because I you know like the idea of text um, is pretty interesting to me, especially just with, with the the that idea of aging or something something changing. You know that's that's funny that it, that that never really occurs to me. And again, like I feel like I come at this in, in such a, a different way. But as far as uh, you know, garage sailing is. You know, I'm a big cross country skier and cross country ski racer, and uh, and so I do a lot of that. But I, I did you know like I all collect that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I recently found these cross country skis at a garage sale. Uh, they're early waxless skis. So for people who aren't familiar with uh, with skiing, you know, you need you need like a, a glide. A quick wax on either on the front end or the back end of your ski, and then you need some kind of a grip in the middle. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, you put on some kind of like a sticky wax, right? So when you when you push off, you kind of grip there, and then you slide with the other parts. 
but there was one, uh, these old skis that I found that had like a, almost like a brush material, like a, like a, like a, like a record brush almost, you know, with, so it would, it was the, 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 uh, the bristles kind of laid down when you went forward, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, weird stuff like that. Absolutely. Like I, I love just weird oddities. So I, I'm a bit of a collector, you know, a, a bit of a kind of compiler and piler. Sure. Stuff, yeah. Well, it's, and it's, um, I do know, you know, in terms of the music realm, especially, I, I believe I had heard a rumor mention that, um, there was a, a, a mix CD that I made that was traveling around print shops. Uh, oh yeah. But there's it was very a brief. And I think particularly because of, during the phase I had an interest in, um, you know, those weird one-off songs that they have for like movies that, you know, just pop up and vanish. But this one was from the Karate Kid, but, but the, even even that the 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 other the other music that you associate from those things pops up to me now still and it's so strange but well you've got that weird eighties obsession yeah I, well and I think that's, that's di- a- I think it's died down a little bit but I think the yeah the um, there's a there's a sentimentality that's so present in a lot of it you know like I, I miss um, I miss the people that you know would have a saxophone solo in a pop <laughs> popular music song it just doesn't happen <laughs> happen right now. Yeah, I mean, I remember getting that CD from you called You're the Best by Dave Linaway, uh when I was visiting your school, Southern Illinois. And uh, was it Southern Illinois? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's got those awful songs, and I would play them for my, just like you, I'd play them for my, uh, my beginning drawing students, and they, they, they didn't know if I was serious or not. You know, they really, you know, I try to pump them up and stuff, anything to kind of get them out of their shell. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny about that culture for me, that 80s kind of culture. I was watching Goonies not too long ago with my kids. And I feel like that that time was uh, kind of a maybe the last step of innocence and freedom. Right. You, you know, there's this kind of free Americana. You know, kids can't run around like that anymore. Sure. You know, when I was a kid, I ran around the neighborhood all day, you know, and, and got into trouble. My parents just asked that I would be home by 6 for dinner, you know, and then I would, I would, I would like, move my watch back 10 minutes you know so like when i was late 10 minutes i'd be like look see i'm here on time you know because I, sure. I i just wanted to be out and now everything is really kind of pro you know kind of planned and, and, and safe and structured and you know fenced off i wonder if the 80s kind of have a little bit of that kind of last gasp of americana freedom sure. i don't know well and it's always something that you know it's something that you can't escape to as as um well, just reflecting as you're getting older relative to however old you are, you know, for whoever it is, they're still, they're still having to work out, you know, how things change and, you know, the, you know, questions like, you know, was that the last, you know, was that the last great time or I don't know, a lot, a lot of people kind of um, get hung up on, on thinking, I think that, you know, like this was the last time it's going to be like this. And well, yeah. there, well, there's, t- well, there's times that I wonder how much of that is just a, uh, something that's cyclical, you know, that every, every generation kind of says those things, but I, I definitely, I definitely don't, I don't respond to the, the slickness, which with every, with the way everything's kind of done now, especially, especially even like a movie like Goonies versus, uh, you know, I think like a contemporary would be like Spy Kids or something like right. now. It's so, right. you know, it's so clean and, um, sanitary. Yeah. It's just a weird, it's a weird thing, you know, like, well, I, yeah, it, it's easy to romanticize the past. You know, it really is. But, uh, but I, man, there's too many rules now. Everything's so rule based. You know, we can have a little tolerance, I think, and kind of let people do their own thing. Sure, sure. Well, and, and, um, I, you know, I think I'm almost out here, but, um, one of the other things that I always like to ask people, just, just especially because, uh, you know, you're an artist out there and you're looking at stuff, um, is, is there anything that you've seen recently that, um, or maybe in the near past that, you know, really kind of, kind of knocked your socks off? Uh, I love Tauba Oyerbach. Man, I think she is the... Uh, I think she's fantastic. Total art crush on her stuff. Um, I don't know. That's, that's always kind of hard. Like, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm really bad at kind of just, like, pulling up names. But, you know, I think Peter Doig is pretty fantastic. Uh, Karen Sonder is really good. Um, let's see... Jonas Wood. Jonas Wood is making fantastic paintings. Um, Mark Rojan is always making great paintings, too. There's so much good work out there. Sure. Uh, I, I teach a class called Multiples, and it used to be about the multiple or multiple objects or whatever. And it just It's turned into kind of a, a contemporary art history class where uh, I, just, I, I just lecture on people, and then they make work 
kind of based somehow within the themes that I'm talking about. And I did that this summer. I think I lectured on 120 artists. And, it, you know, it's just like, you know, you talked earlier when we were, before the interview started, talking about how to, you know, how to uh, use the web as a tool to kind of help yourself out. Like, you know, I just, like, I just started Facebook in September. Mm-hmm. And even though it's a, I'm a little obsessed, you know, I, I get a little obsessed by things in general. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's a little compelling to go onto Facebook. What a great tool, you know. But in, you know, the computer now, if I'm, if I'm using, like, Flickr or, or anything to kind of find images of all these people... Even the last time I taught the class was three years ago, and I was able to expand uh, the number of images that I had, you know, tenfold, you know, because there, there's just so much access to so much stuff going on. Websites like Contemporary Art Daily or, you know, I think your, I think your studio break is cool that way. There's just so much access to so many things. There's so many good things going on. You know, I think it's a pretty exciting time to do art. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, and, and again, just, just so that we can let everybody know... Um, just uh, if you could just plug this last uh, this exhibition that you got coming up, the last one. Come on, um, <laughs> I don't know where that I don't know where the last came from, but um, this exhibition that's opening up in, in July. You know, get get all the Studio Break people there. You know what? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Please come out. It's uh, it's called Deeper Wonder than the Deeper Wonders than the Waves, and it's at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. It's opening uh, on Thursday, July nineteenth. It's going to be up for three months. So come on out. It's going to be a good. Uh, Luke Allison's having a uh, a show next door with his Unpack exhibition. That's really good. So you know, come out and support. Um, you know, Minnesota and Minneapolis has got a great art scene and a great uh, you know public kind of funding things going on. So it's a really awesome place to be. Uh, but also, you know, there are other things going on too. If I can plug them, uh, Sharon Loudon is producing a book called uh, "Living and Sustaining a Creative Life." Essays by 40 Working Artists Through Intellect Books. And uh, so that's going to be coming out. I'm going to have a piece in there. It should be coming out um, in the year. Uh, I've got upcoming shows at Eastern Michigan uh, University called Non-Text. That'll be in October. And then I'm going to be showing in Virginia at the university, you know, the university, I think they call it. So the University of Virginia it's called uh, The End of Language with Suzanne Silver, Adam Wolfa, and Lauren Catlett. Also, will be a new American Paintings 101 nice. next time out, so check that out. Um, I'll be showing in September at Kane Schulte Gallery in San Francisco in a group show called Uncharted, Works on Paper. And, yeah, other things to come. So check me out on Facebook. Nice, nice. Well, again, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. Dave, thanks a lot for the invitation. Thanks again to Justin for joining us today. If you want to see more of his work, you're going to have to go to Studio Break blog to check out all of the different links to all the different places. So please go there to check that out. Once again, his exhibition Deeper Wonders Than the Waves opens Thursday, July 19th at the Minneapolis Institute of the Arts. Our intro song today was Lipstick Homicide's E-Song, and taking us out will be Alligator Indian's The New E. Once again, if you happen to like music, I highly suggest going to freemusicarchive.org, where they have thousands of different songs. Even if you don't like these ones, they got thousands of songs that you can download and put on your computer or MP3 player. Go check it out. Of course, if you happen to like what you've heard today, I would really love it if you would just join us by... You know, maybe subscribing to the blog at studiobreak.com or going to Facebook where you can find the Studio Break fan page. Again, we do a lot of updates for upcoming artists and include links to, to new work by other past Studio Break artists. So please check us out there. And again, like us on Facebook. We really appreciate it. And once again, don't forget, we've got a ton of archived episodes at studiobreak.com, over 36 of them complete with slideshows and again you can save those those files you can download them by right clicking and saving mp3 you can listen to it in the default player or and again i prefer this method just go to the itunes store search for studio break on our podcast and subscribe there once again please leave us some feedback it just uh, again gives us a bit bigger of a presence on itunes and hopefully will get us some more listeners If you happen to be curious about your host, me, you can check out my work at davidlinaway.com. 
And also, I've got some new images up from the show that just opened in Peoria a couple weeks ago. If you'd like uh, to see any other things, like prints, I have a number available at Little Paper Planes. I have some available at Five Pieces Gallery. And again, thank you for all of the uh, great feedback. We'd love to hear from all the people listening, because there's a lot of you. So please feel free to, to just give us a comment, leave us some feedback, whatever. We'd really love to hear from you. Once again, it's great being back, and hopefully we've got some great episodes lined up that I look forward to sharing with you. And that's all we got. We'll talk to you real soon.